Welcome to the Yours in Marketing Podcast. Hey, it's Blake here. If this is the first time that you're joining us on the Yours in Marketing Podcast, do me a favor. Please go wherever you get your podcast, doesn't matter where, and please review, rate, subscribe to the podcast right now. Well, or after the episode, whichever works for you. We're really looking for your support so that we can build this and make it even more valuable for you. So please rate, review, and subscribe the Yours in Marketing podcast. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. On today's episode, I was able to speak with Louis Grenier, who is the content lead at Hotjar and also the host of the Everyone Hates Marketers podcast. Now, here's an idea of what we talked about and what you're going to learn from this podcast. First and foremost, we talk about how to make your marketing less deceitful and less slimy. Then we also discussed how to create engaging content, especially headlines of content that drive value without being slimy. And then finally, we kind of talk about how the golden rule applies to marketing and how we can all be better marketers and more empathetic. Fascinating to have Louie on the show. It was really one of my favorite interviews so far, and I hope that you find a lot of value in it. So please enjoy the show with Louis Grenier. Okay, so on the podcast today, very special guest, we have Louis Grenier, who is the content lead at Hotjar. You also have your own podcast, Everybody Hates Marketers. You've interviewed tons of people, but notably Noah Kagan, Seth Godin, people like that. So really reputable marketer in the in the space. Louis, how are you doing? How are you feeling today? Bonjour, bonjour. I'm all good. I think you're the first uh, podcast <laughs> interviewer who, who managed to pronounce my, my name properly. And I don't blame the others, uh, but as you told me a few <laughs> minutes ago, yeah, you, you spent a few years in France and I can hear it. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I have a special place for France in my heart. So I guess let's start there because the most important question that I have for you today is the following. If I were to organize a nice dinner for you, you could have anybody there that you want. I'm going to give you the option of two different meals, two different French meals, and you have to pick one. I'm going to give you either a generous serving of tartiflette or we're going to do a round of raclette with all the charcuterie that you want. Okay, so which one are you going with and why? So I would go for tartiflette, a raclette, which is a dish that you basically, you basically use a specific type of cheese and you put it on the small type of pan that you put under this instrument that, that heat it. And then you use, you have potatoes and charcuterie, like ham and shit like this to, um, you put on the cheese on top. The raclette traditionally is being eaten during winter and all. I get kind of sick of the cheese. It gets too much after two or three servings. So tartiflette, on the other hand, is made with Roblochon cheese, which is also from the Alps region. And I don't find it as sickening as the other. So definitely tartiflette. Yeah, I, I'm 100% in agreement with you. Tarti, tartiflette is like the ultimate food for me. I love it. For those who don't know what tartiflette is, can you just really describe it really quick? Yeah, so if I'm not mistaken, it's uh, it's potato dish with some lardons, uh, like ham, small hams and reblochon, basically. That's, that's, that's about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ba- basically. It's like the simplest dish. But it's irreplicable. You can't do it in, in America. I've tried so many times, but the only cheese you can, you can't find Roblochon cheese here. You can only find Brie and it's just not even close. Yeah, that's, that's the, that's the only one of the downfall of, of the US or I live in Ireland as well. And that's the same thing, right? So it's difficult from an outside perspective to understand how, how many type of cheese you can have in France. Like literally from where I'm from within 10 minutes radius, you have 
five or six villages that sell their own cheese that have their own name that the taste will be quite different from one another so it's like you know the curse of this i'm not going to remember the name but you know when in marketing you think you know it all and you think marketing is one thing it's quite simple and then you dive into it you understand how fucking deep it is and like how you can get lost cheese is just like marketing for this reason (laughs) cheese is exactly like marketing if there's anything that you can get from this podcast it's that it's the same stuff exactly the same (laughs) so you grew up in the dead center of france it couldn't be more central in clermont-ferrand i lived in lyon which is pretty close it's not too far away but I want to talk about your childhood a little bit, but more, we'll, we'll start getting into the marketing stuff now. I think you're eager to talk about that. You've often talked about how your goal is to kind of turn that childhood fascination you had of the internet. So being able to reach people really quickly at the click of a button. From early on, you've talked about that. For other people that are kind of earlier in their careers or maybe even younger, how can they do the same thing? How can they identify those things that they find fascinating and actually put themselves on the path to have a career in that field? It's a tough thing because in hindsight, it's very easy to look back and say, oh, that's why. That's why I was so fascinated by the internet. That's why I was so fascinated by understanding people and psychology behind why people take decisions and and all of that. But when you're in the heat of the moment, when you're growing up as a teenager, when you're growing up as a young adult, those things, can you can miss them. So I don't have a secret formula for this. I think in retrospect, there are two things that I should have done, I could have done better. And for people listening who are younger than me, which is a lot of people who are who want to get into marketing or who want to get into career or who might want to change, I would say the first thing to do is to understand what energizes you. And that's uh, different than what your strength is, right? So you can have you can be very good at something, but it might be something that drains you after you do it. Or you can be very good at something, people recognize you for it, and some, something that at the end of doing this thing, you're more energized than at the start, right? And when you start understanding this aspect of your life and what really energizes you, what are the things that really like drive you, you can have a better understanding of what's going on. So I could spend hours and hours on internet just chatting to strangers, understanding, trying to build websites and going onto forums and just having fun there. I never felt tired of it, right? The other thing that I never felt tired of it was always trying to question authority, the status quo, understanding why people were doing certain things. I, I was just fascinated by it as a child, as a teenager, and I never thought of anything of it really. I thought it was normal to be like this, to constantly challenge my mom in particular, or constantly challenge my friends, constantly challenge <laughs> the politics or TV that I would hear. But I understood afterwards that that was one of my personality traits that was part of my kind of unique ability, the things that energize me that I should use, uh, that I should make of good use, right? So that's the first thing, looking inside what energizes you, what are the things that you are good at that makes you feel more energized after doing it than, than before. The second part is, is, is something I believe in marketing that you can apply to yourself is to reach out to others that know you. And that's something that works really well, right? So whether you're in a career already or not, asking people who know you, friends, colleagues, family, what do you think is my unique ability or what do you think I'm the best at? Just asking this, this question via email or whatnot, you'll be surprised by how detailed the answer you're going to get are and to how very similar all of the answers will be. And you're going to find themes that are very, very similar. So it's difficult to, to really be, to introspect into yourself and understand what's going on. It's better when you, when you reach out to others. Very much in marketing, it's, it's very difficult to build a strategy if you just look at yourself. 
Well, that's, I mean, that, that taking a survey approach, that's something that most people, most marketers aren't willing to do anyway in business. So like that, that's a principle that you've applied to your life or that other people could apply to their lives. But that's also something that most businesses aren't even willing to put the time in to just reach out to their customer base and actually ask them straight up, what are we doing wrong? What are we doing right? How can we improve? Yeah, and I don't want to blame people who are not doing it, right? Because I understand that they might have some targets to reach and they might be under pressure. They might not be working for the right boss or the right company. So it's tough to convince a company who don't believe in those things in the first place to actually say, you know what, if you talk to the people who are the most important in your business, maybe you're going to learn something. It's difficult for that. I understand. But the best way I can say, like the best thing I can say is you need to start on your own, send one survey to one person, have one interview with one customer, or just talk to a friend of yours who know you well and just say, listen, I want to know myself better. Uh, what do you think I'm really good at? And you're going to just discover things you didn't know you didn't know, which is one of the things that is the beauty, the beauty of connecting with others. You, you start learning stuff you didn't know you didn't know. I didn't come up with this concept. It's a book called The Unique Ability, which is quite good. I think it's a guest of mine who mentioned it and I read it. It's nothing really revolutionary about this concept, but I like the way they put it. They have a lot of structure into it. And what I like about it as well is the fact that do you know those strengths finder and all of those books that help you to find? I'm not a massive fan of them because, again, do you really know yourself very well or do others around you know yourself better? And very much like in marketing as a company, do you know your company very well or do your customer know yourself, know your company better? So it's always good as well to reach out. Yeah, it's really hard to be honest with yourself because if I look at myself, I'll think, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm great at this and this and that. But ultimately, is that really, is that reality? Is that what other people see? Because in terms of what I'm putting out, maybe, you know, there are certain things that are, it's important for me to think that I do well, but ultimately it's more important that I understand the reality and that companies, I mean, people and companies both have egos. So it's really hard to stay unbiased. Yeah. You can't, you can't really fight the bias. I mean, that's part of being human. We have biases, try to control them as much as you can, but like listening to past episodes of yours, for example, like one of the key strengths that I can see from you and perhaps a unique ability if you're more energized after the interview than before is that you're a very good interviewer, right? You ask good questions. You just are able to, to hold a conversation without a lot of reload to script. Trust me, I've been on a few podcasts now and this isn't, this isn't something that is, that is uh, widely spread. Let's put it this way. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, but there's also a lot of work that goes into that, right? Like a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I'm sh you're, you're the same way. I can say the exact same thing. It's just wh whatever your craft, whether you're a business or, or just a brand or person, there's a lot of prep that goes in the back end as well for that. But being, being humble, I think is so far from, from our discussion, I'm really picking up on being humble in business is actually a really big strength that most people don't value enough. Yeah. Humility, right? I mean, why do you, th it's, it's a psychological bias, right? They've done this survey. I'm going to butcher the research about this, but you can find it in the book called <laughs> Brainfluence, uh, 100 Ways to Persuade People or something around those lines, where they surveyed restaurant owners and they had a ranking about like, their performance. So they already knew who was the best and who wasn't. And they asked themselves from zero to 10 or one to five or whatever, in which 
quintile do you feel do you feel you are like in the top 25 percent or the top 20 percent the bottom 20 percent whatever and they found out that the majority of people would put themselves in the top 20 percent right uh, so like 80 percent would put themselves in the top 20 percent so we are naturally very bad at at judging ourselves and this is why it's so important to be humble and realize that my perception of myself is not the same that perception of others and in marketing like in real life or in any part of life perception is everything it's not about what you think you are it's about what others think you are i, I kind of want to shift gears just a tiny bit and start talking about content specifically because obviously you're the content lead at hotjar i would be remiss if i didn't talk to you about this but i've, I've interviewed people like joel kletke at case study buddy he's a fantastic copywriter he's he's really good um and i think you've spoken with him before but it's just I, i've thought about copywriting a lot lately and how it all ties into marketing because obviously it's huge but in title in content creation titles ultimately are key as well but that's one of the things i feel like people manipulate the most is trying to do clickbait to get people to click on titles so do you have a formula for writing a great headline that isn't clickbaity but it's still engaging and still intrigues people it's, it's incredibly tough because the title is the most important part of your email, right? That's what people see. If, if you don't convince people to click and to take this next action, which is to read your email, then, then you failed. I'm not a copywriter myself. I wouldn't say that I am and that I would ever be. What I know is the fact that if you listen and use the words of your customers, you're already much far, uh, further ahead than, than all the competition, right? So that's the first thing. So use the words of your customers, send surveys, interview them, understand what they say. The second thing is you do need to lead with curiosity, right? Um, you don't want to send an email with a subject line that you wouldn't send to your mom or to, you wouldn't send to your friends because you're ashamed of it. However, you also need you need the subject line to do a job, right? In Hotjar, we try different subject lines per newsletter, and every time, as soon as we inspire people to click because there is some curiosity into it, making them guess what metric we're talking about in the subject or what making them guess what objective they can get or what benefit they can get, you get more clicks because people want to know. And that's in human nature. So it's a balancing act between what you know works in terms of human psychology, what people are t tend to do, and your ethics, right? And what you're willing to do to make a sale or to make people read your email. So it's always the balance of, would I click this email? Would I feel it's too clickbaity with my mom? Would, would I be actually willing to send an email like this to my friend or not? And it's always trying to go check yourself. So I wish I had a formula. I do not have a formula. All I know is, again, if we look at metrics and what matters to you, open rate, for example, or click-through rate, when you lead with your curiosity, when you when you hit at something new, when you when you when you play with those emotions uh, that people have in, in like everyone has, it's it gets easier. And a subject line is just a way to get to the next step, which is to read their email, the email, and then the next step, which is to click on something, right? So you need to think about it as a funnel. And that's why for Hotjar in particular, or for my podcast, I do the same, we come up with what, 10, 15, 20 headlines minimum until we find something that is like, oh shit, this is, this is like, yeah, I would open this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, at Hotjar, you're obviously really focused on CRO, improving user experience for websites. There, there are a lot of different functions and you look at, I'm sure you've looked at B2B companies before and their websites and the content that they have. Um, a lot of them don't put thought into how that can actually 
build out their their lead generation pipeline, how it can actually establish trust. They just either don't publish content because they don't see the value there or they publish it for the sake of publishing content because everybody else is. But what are maybe a couple of impactful, non-sketchy things that these B2B companies can actually do to their content to help it start converting? But you need a reason, as you said, right? So that's the first thing. You need a reason for why you're writing anything. So, you know, you mentioned where I'm from, Clermont-Ferrand. Uh, Clermont-Ferrand was, is the, the city of Michelin, like the tire companies, Michelin, as, as some people would say, right? So tire company, that's a great example of content marketing for the right reason. So they, they did this Michelin guide more than a century ago to, and they created a guide to help cyclists uh, find places to go to, like garages, restaurants, and whatnot. And they created this guide to make them use their tires, right? So that they would drive and cycle more, therefore they would, they would use their tires, therefore they would buy more tires, right? Perfect content marketing example. Michelin Guide is still very much alive and kicking today. The reason why I want to say that is, that's a mistake we made in, in, the, in the past when we created content. We created content for the sake of it without a business objective in mind. Why do we even do this? So that's the first thing. You need to really understand why you're doing it. For us, right now, is to deliver what we call first touch signups. Uh, it's not what we call, but that's when people land first on your content and then sign up afterwards, uh, first touch sign up. The second part, which is even more interesting, because it's all about the people, right? The customer, that's what is at the center of everything, especially marketing, is to understand their problems, the journey they are going through, right? It's, it's, it's so basic yet so important. So I know that probably a few guests in your podcast say the same thing. I can on, only repeat that. Like you need to understand where those people are coming from. Why would they need to look into, into your, your stuff? So give me, let me give you a practical example and practical way to do so, so that if you're listening to this right now, you can use it. Again, it goes back to basic. I would interview five, three of your top customers, customer that fit your persona, like the, really the people who are the best for your business, who spend the most, who contact, support the less, who genuinely connect with you and your values, don't mind sending ideas, like just people you want more of. And you need to ask them one simple question. Talk me through the first time you ever thought of buying a solution like ours, right? So you want to understand from their perspective what was their journey. And by asking this simple question, you basically try to hit every single checkpoint after that, which is like, what was the trigger? What triggered them to start thinking of perhaps using a solution like, like yours? The trigger is so important, right? What make them just decide, you know what? Fuck it, this today, I'm gonna look at, into Hotjar or I'm gonna look into like marketing consulting, whatever. What made them decide? Then you wanna understand, how did they take the decision? You know, do they talk to their friends or an agency? Do they do it on their own? How long did it take? And all of that. But those are the questions you can ask like a normal conversation. You just, you just make them paint this, this picture of the journey they took with you up until they decided to go and, and buy from you. And that enables you to identify a very specific journey, not anyone's journey, but the journey of the people you want to attract. And the job of content is to make sure that you are here along the way to help them. When they start having this trigger, when they start identifying that they could potentially have a problem and they need to solve it, such as increasing conversion rate, you need to be there. You need to use the type of things they are looking into, the type of problems they are running into. You need to write about it and all of that. The reason why I go about trigger so much is that it's a, such an important concept that I think a lot of people forget, especially when you do what I call, I don't want to curse too much on this podcast, but basically the, the bullshit around personas, right? Making you think that it's all about demographic. 
which is the wrong way to go about it, right? It's not about whether Joe is between 30 and 40 and has three kids. What does it have to do with buying your accounting software? Absolutely nothing. What everything it has to do with the trigger. Why is this person buying from you? You know, what is the job they are hiring your solution to do? And if you find this trigger, you can center everything around it and your content. So for Hotjar, the trigger is usually a new team member joins or new management starts or there are like a new redesign being planned, like they might have got a new brand, they might have acquired a new brand or whatever. That's usually when they start saying, we have new targets, there's something new coming up, we need to reach it, we need to to reach this target. And therefore, oh, we need to improve our conversion rate, or oh, we need to improve our experience, or else we're not going to reach the targets. This is only when that happened that they actively start looking at like a solution like Ares. And I don't know that because I've just use SEO or whatnot. I know, I know that because I spend hours within, with customers to identify this uh, and talk to sales and all of that. But again, like start with your customer, interview them and paint the journey from their perspective. And then you'll know what content to plug to bring them towards your product. That's really interesting because it's so simple. And yet people just either overcomplicate things or don't think at all, it, it appears, because usually the process for content creation or you know building out a podcast, whatever it may be, is really just saying, okay, we need to make X amount of money more or get X amount of leads more. And then they don't really reverse engineer it anymore beyond that. They're just like, okay, let's uh, set up this podcast or let's start, let's start blogging and we need to reach Bill, who's 35 and lives in the Midwest of the United States. But you, like you said, like th- those are not the things that if you focus on them, are actually going to push toward your business goal. They're really just going to push toward reaching that guy, Bill, who may not actually be qualified whatsoever. But companies, I think, are so... There's there's such a pattern there of just doing things because they've been done a certain way. And that's the most... I mean, multiple people have talked about that in the past, of how that's one of the most dangerous spots to be in, is just accepting things because that's the way they are. Instead of, like you mentioned before, questioning the status quo, asking a lot of questions, even if they're hard, even if it sucks to ask them, if it means that maybe you have to pivot or do something completely different, those are the kind of questions that you should be asking if you want to stand out. So the way to think about it, because I know it's tough if you're listening to this right now, you might wonder how do you actually make the difference between bullshit and the truth and things you need to focus on and things you shouldn't. Here's a very easy way to think about it. There's two types of things you will learn from LinkedIn or whatever else. So-called best practices and then first principles. Best practices are things that are like might be in today might go away in six months. Those are the things such as you need to try this new channel. You need to try this new LinkedIn feature. You need to be in this conference. You need to sponsor it. If you don't do it, you're going to miss out. The first principles are when you go to the kernel, to the very source, to the very, like the middle of why is something happening. So for example, people saying storytelling is so important. You need to be, you need to do storytelling. You need to tell stories. You need to ask why. Is it an actual psychology uh, psychology principle that will be true in 50 years or is it not? Turns out it is. Why? Because for millennials as humans, we've been sitting on fires, telling ourselves stories to keep ourselves warm, to keep ourselves entertained. We are wired. Our brain is wired to hear stories. You, it's just the way it is. It's not going to change because of technology. So the way to focus on, to understand, to, to really feel like you're not losing sight and like you're not focusing on the wrong thing is always to go to the kernel of things to understand the why behind it. And in marketing, 
an easy way for me to keep myself in check is humans are not going to change. We know that DNA evolution, it takes millions of years to produce a human like us. It's not going to change because we have LinkedIn new feature arriving. So that's a fact. That's the first principle. Humans are not going to change. Now, what, who are we selling to as, as businesses? Humans, right? Therefore, who we're selling to is not going to change either. We're always going to sell to those people. Humans, okay? And therefore, what is marketing really about? Understanding people, you know, understanding humans. And so, so that you can give them what they need and also what they want. That's not going to change either. Because again, if you look at first principles, humans are not going to change. The only thing that changed is how technology applies to this behavior, how different channels apply to this. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day whether you need to go to this channel or this channel. What matters the most is why you need to reach out to those customers, why those customers are doing certain things. And then you apply the principles to your channels, to your strategy, whatever. But at the core of all of it, your customers, your people, this is the core of everything. You start from there and then you expand. Not, you don't start from a place of selfishness where you think about yourself and how to reach your target. It's always about the people that you seek to serve. You talk, You mentioned like treating people the way that they want to be treated within the scope of marketing, kind of selling without using deception tactics. Up front, to me, it sounds like that's probably going to cut your opportunities by a considerable amount at first. But over time, what does that business model look like? If you, if a company devoted themselves to you know, using the golden golden rule in marketing, not using deception, how long would it take to make up for maybe the opportunities they missed up front? And what does the business model look like over the span of several years? Why do you think you'd be losing opportunities in the first place? Well, I, maybe some would be perceiving it as that because they think that if I, I have to run certain te- certain types of campaigns right now that might be more deception-based or fear-based to generate leads now, and if they didn't run those certain campaigns and tried to be more honest and uh, take their time and really build relationships, that it might take much longer to actually see results. So th- from experience, the source of people having to use deceptive tactics and shady and aggressive tactics to sell always comes from one thing, bad product. So honestly, if you have to resort to to use shady tactics to sell your stuff because your stuff is not good enough on its own, doesn't stand on its own, doesn't get recommended on its own, doesn't get word of mouth on its own, you're, can I curse? You're fucked. Like you'll you'll beep it out anyway. You'll censor (laughs) me. But that's what happens, right? Like this is the kernel as well. Like obviously you need to have you focus on your people. If you don't sell something that solves a problem to them, to your people, then you have a bad product. If you have a bad product, you're going to have to use sleazy marketing tactics to go to go there. So I disagree with this statement mm-hmm. that you might lose opportunities. You, you won't. If you have a good product, you won't. And in fact, good marketing is good product and vice versa. So you, I can give you countless examples of companies that are absolutely striving, making a lot of money and not using any shady aggressive marketing, you know? Like one that pops to mind straight away is Basecamp, right? Basecamp, the, the project management software, mm-hmm. very, very good product, simple, they know their stuff, they have values, they have they stand for something. I don't think they've ever used shady tactics. If anything, they are like really in the other side. They are too ethical. They don't, like, they're just so into uh, ethics, it, it's scary, <laughs> right? One example, you can find thousands of others or millions of others. Another one with not a company, but a person, you mention him, and maybe some people will disagree with this example, but Seth Godin is also fantastic at that. This guy just shares stuff for free on his blog every day. 
is, has done so for years and years and years. He's building so much trust. People trust it and love him. He writes books and give away his knowledge for pennies. Like, come on, $10, $15 for a book. It's written by Seth Godin. It's just bargain when you think about his experience. Anyway, mm-hmm. he gives most of his knowledge for free. He gives, he gives, he gives, and he knows in return people will give back. And he's, I don't know how much he's making. He's never shared that. But this guy can sleep well at night because he's using good products, good knowledge, good marketing principles to sell his stuff. And it's absolutely possible to do this yourself. The reason why you might never be able to do it is if you have a bad product. But if you have a bad product, I have bad news for you. You either need to change company or absolutely review everything about it. But like the source of good marketing starts with a good product and understanding people. That's just, there's no other way. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. You mentioned Seth Godin. I do want to talk a little bit about your podcast as well. Maybe do some podcast inception here while you're on a podcast. So talking about Seth Godin, may, is there anybody else that you've interviewed that just blew you away with how smart they were or how creative they were? Well, all of the other, all of the guests I had are smarter than me. Uh, that's the rule I have. I need to learn from from people, and, <laughs> and there's every single time I interview someone, I, I learn something I didn't know I didn't know, which is fantastic. So let me think of someone mm. else. So Seth Godin was the one that surprised me because I didn't expect him to actually go into practical practical terms. Like he went very deep into mm-hmm. it, which was really cool. I'd say another one. This is the kind of marketer again, an example of ethics. Andre Chaperon, who's an email marketer, email marketing copywriter, is like probably one of the best in the world. He used to do some sort of shady stuff with affiliate marketing when he just started 20, like 15 years ago, whatever, when the web was at its infancy. But like he's, since then, he's, he's really changed his mind and realized the power of it. When I interviewed him on the podcast, really, this guy has been working on a method truly rooted in user psychology, so things that will always work to truly like build marketing emails that be open 90%, 95% open rate. I mean, crazy stuff. And the way he does this is quite simple, right? He doesn't squeeze conversion with pop-up or an exit pop-up or whatever. What he would do is it makes it difficult for people to sign up. He creates tension. And that's something that people forget in marketing as well. If you want to attract the right people, you want to create tension. If you don't create tension, you're only going to attract people who are here for a quick win. If you create tension, people are more likely to like, to basically, it's like a magnet. They go to you. So by, he does it by simply having a page that explains the concept of whatever you're going to receive, making you go to page two, page three. And then once you're really convinced, you sign up. So he knows, first of all, that the people who are signing up are really into him. Instead of asking, you know, for an email address only on the top of your homepage and try to squeeze as many emails as you can, he doesn't do that. The second thing he doesn't do is as soon as he understands automatically via his email that people don't open their email, that someone won't open his email or hasn't clicked, he deletes them from the, 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 the database, right? So he only keeps the core and the people who really, really loves him. And his open rights are just crazy. You wouldn't believe. I mean, it's... It's mind-blowing. Yeah, <laughs> but when you think about it, it just makes total sense. Why aren't, aren't you doing it? Because you're, you're looking at vanity metrics most of the time. So he sells as well. Conversion rate from email to, to sell is just insane. And just by using basic user psychology principle, creating tension and all of that. And when you think about this, type, this is the kind of stuff I would never have thought about myself. It just takes years and years to, to, to practice. And this is the beauty of interviewing people who are smarter than you, right? You just learn stuff you didn't know you didn't know. And that's just one, one example. Yeah. Is, 
I'm guessing that this is gonna the answer to this is gonna be Seth Godin as well, but I just want to ask which guests were you most nervous to interview? <laughs> the first one. Not Seth Godin. The first one. Not okay. I'm not gonna remember who because what I've done is I interviewed a few people and then I kind of shuffled the order when I launched a podcast. So I don't remember who came first. But do you know when you have this feeling in your stomach, like this butterfly? Like when you feel like you're a lion in a cage, in a sense, that you have stuff to say, but you're not too sure that others feel the same way. I had this feeling right at the start. I was like, this is a bit crazy. Like everyone hates marketers. It's quite a, a strong title, quite a strong concept. Maybe I'm the only one thinking this way. You know, I like to challenge the status quo. Maybe I'm gone too far. And I think it was DHH from Basecamp. One of the co-founders of Basecamp was the first. And... I remember within a few minutes when he started to say stuff that I, I was agreeing with or that went even further than my first thought about the podcast, I realized, shit, like now we are two. So there must be more than two, right? And that's when I realized, yeah, this is what you need to follow, this gut feeling, this butterfly, this like, what, what stops you from saying what you think apart from others who might criticize you or whatever? But that's what good marketing is about. If you want to stand out, you need to... to to take these feelings, those emotions, those things that you truly think and, and, and externalize them because you will find people like you. That's just a given. There are 7 billion, nearly 8 billion people on earth now. You will find people who, who agree with you and a lot of people who disagree, but that's good. That's what marketing should be. Yeah. Yeah, it's even better. <laughs> there are people that disagree. I think a lot of, I've talked a lot with other guests about building community. I think that's been a common thread across the episodes so far. And what you're saying here really applies to that as well. Like building, if you're trying to build a community, it's, it's about more than just saying, well, I think that this is going to work. So I'll just, I'm just going to start creating content. I mean, obviously you do have to start creating, but it's really about trying to find like-minded people and speak to them the way that you would want to be spoken to as well. And that, that can be a hard thing to do again, because that bias exists and you think that you need to do things a certain way. So it can be kind of tricky building a, a community like that. And it's, you know, it took me years to really dive down into this is actually what I believe. Like what we're talking about for the last few minutes, it's, it sounds simple when you hear it the first time. It sounds like, yeah, it's basic, focusing on people, whatever. But that took me years to actually realize this is what I believed in, right? So you do need some practice. Like I went through a lot of jobs in non-marketing industries, in marketing industries. I went through the motion. I had to go through and, and do stuff I didn't necessarily like to discover what I liked, right? And what I would suggest, if you're listening to this and you don't know what is this thing that truly drives you is to keep going, to keep going through the motion and always questioning the status quo, but listening to yourself, to this butterfly, to this inner feeling of what do you want to say, but you're too scared of saying because you might, some people might disagree with you because you're too afraid. What do you want to say that, that, that you hold back? And yeah, it takes years. It really genuinely does. And I don't think I'm at, at this stage where I know that this is my mission for life type of thing. I, I think it could be refined, but I'm definitely getting closer. Along these lines of like talking to people how you want to be talked to, not being slimy in your marketing, I'm wondering if there was a time where you felt like a hypocrite for actually doing those things that you're saying you don't want to do. Yeah, so that's the, that's the point, right? You need to go through stuff that you don't like to understand you don't like them. So in my first marketing job in a startup, I remember one example. I remember we 
bought the software that automatically followed and unfollowed Twitter accounts. That was almost 10 years ago, eight years ago, I mm -hmm. think. Seven, eight, seven, something like that. So it was a software you would install on your Mac or Windows and you would input certain parameters like I want to follow anyone mentioning marketing. And we did that for a few weeks. I can't actually believe we did that for a few weeks. But you see, that's what happens when you work in the industries like this, when you're driven by metric first and targets, you just do shitty stuff. And like you don't even realize. At the time, I didn't even realize <laughs> it was so bad. But then you look back and you're like, what, what were we doing? You know? But that's, that's what happens when you don't understand what you're yeah. doing. That's what happens when you don't have a true north. That's what happens when you don't understand that customer is at the center of everything. And today, obviously, I wouldn't even consider doing it. But yeah, I never felt like a hypocrite because at the time I didn't have this form vision in my head. It was somewhere in me. I felt disgusted mm -hmm. doing it, but it wasn't disgusting enough for me to stop or it wasn't clear enough in my head to say, you know what? We need to focus on people, not metrics. Yeah. I, I have a couple of different types of questions, some rapid fire questions. I do this with, with most guests just to uh, kind of lighten things up a little bit, make it a little bit more maybe interesting, hopefully. So if you don't mind, I would love to ask you some totally off topic, rapid fire stuff. Do it. Okay. All right. So first off, I want to know who do you think is the most thoughtful and genuine person in marketing right now? I, I mentioned Seth Godin a few times. I would say Ran Fishkin. Yeah. When you, when you think of the word successful, who comes to mind? Elon Musk. What's something that you believe that other people would think is totally insane? Well, uh, I think we mentioned it, right? That marketing starts with people. I know it sounds stupid, but I know a lot of people who think it's fucking insane. <laughs> is, is there a common misconception that people have about you that isn't true? Yeah, I have, I have a, a strong personality. I think when you, when you first talk to me and you, I might come across as condescending or knowing it all, but I actually, I'm very humble and I understand where I'm coming from. I mean, I'm very humble. It's, it's yeah, that's a very uh, humble thing to say, but I'm actually very nice and I really care about people. Uh, <laughs> it just takes a, a, a while to warm up. I w I'll say this about you, like you being French, there's a really bad reputation for French people out there. That's totally not true. French people are some of the nicest people out there. And one thing I noticed being in the North and in the South, they're obviously kind of two different ways of looking at it too. Like it's a different mentality, but if you, if you look at it, like it's a baguette, the people in the North are like, they're, they're not necessarily like a baguette. They're, they're really just like, well, well, I guess they kind of are like, they're hard on the outside, but then you really have to get to know them and then they're soft. Whereas the people in the South are more welcoming up front, but maybe not as loyal in the long run. That's kind of something that I noticed, but overall French people are amazing. They're like way nicer than people in America. <laughs> I can't make judgment like this. I, I would agree sometimes with the fact that we are quite difficult to get around. And, you know, we have this way of, of, of preferring the French language because we haven't been taught English properly in school. Obviously, we are nice, nice people, but I also do get where people are coming from when they say that we might think that we know it all or we might be a bit rude or condescending. I, I understand where it's coming from. <laughs> I, th I think a lot of that is just because people in the United States are not as willing to be upfront and truthful. And I think French people are more blunt and straightforward. And that comes across to Americans as, as condescending or rude. But in reality, it's just... Like, for example, so I, I actually went back about a year and a half ago to meet with some people that I've met before uh, several years prior. And they told me straight up, they're like, hey, you put on some weight. 
<laughs> in America, nobody would ever say that straight up to you, but French people will. But they're not really, they weren't being rude. They were just like telling the truth and it was a joke. So it's like, it's just two different ways of looking at stuff. So what are you going to do about it? Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I got I to gotta prove them wrong now. What, what would be your own personal call to action right now? Call to action for listeners right now or call to action for myself? No, for yourself. What would you tell yourself? Take three weeks off, which I'm doing next Tuesday. <laughs> that's, that's important. That's something that I'm not very good at, taking the time off. That's typical American, huh? Yep. <laughs> what's, a, what's a deep regret that you might have so far in your life? I wish I had started to talk to people smarter than me way before three years ago. All right, the final rapid-fire question, the most important of all of them. If I told you right now I was a director, I was going to make a movie of your life... What genre would that movie be and what actor would play you? I'd love it to be a shitty version of uh, Dumb and Dumber with Jim Carrey playing myself, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very nice. Cool. Louis, I really appreciate you coming on. That's, uh, those are all the questions that I have for you. I really appreciated this conversation. And uh, I wish you all the best. Everyone, please check Louie out. Um, you've, there are a lot of different places, okay? So go check out his podcast, Everyone Hates Marketers. You can listen to interviews with people like Seth Godin. You interviewed Noah Kagan as well. Anybody, any other notables you want to mention? Yeah, Ron Fishkin. There are a few very, very, yeah. very well-known people coming up as well. And are, is Human Strike Back still going? No, so we wrapped up season one. That was the podcast from Hodja. We wrapped up season one last year. And yep. going back to what we said before, it didn't really connect with business metrics. We need to rethink it a bit. Hmm, interesting. Okay. I, I really liked it. There are there a lot of good interviews to go back and look at there as well. So Human Strike Back. Then you also have, I guess, follow him on LinkedIn, follow him on Twitter. He's, he's really active talking about marketing, but in a way that's not so overbearing and, and annoying, but more just straightforward and really practical tips on how to be honest in marketing. Louis, I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll, I'll give you the platform here to talk about anything else I may have missed. Thanks so much for, for having me. One thing to say, it's not, it's not easy to do what you're doing. I know because I do it as well. Thanks for putting this content out there. Thanks for spending the time out of your like full-time job because you have the stuff to do. You have SEO reports to write and all of that, right? To interview people, to share the knowledge, I would encourage more people to do so. Podcasting is a great way to get to like make people say what they normally never say, what they would never normally never write, right? So you can go a bit deeper, and which is why podcasting is growing and growing. It's this intimate conversation between two people, sometimes three, four, five, that makes it so interesting. So if you feel like you're good at listening and interviewing people, I would say start a podcast. Uh, if you're not, then there's plenty of other channels and mediums you can use. So thanks for your time again, and thanks for people listening as well. Yeah, all right. That was Louis Grenier. Thank you so much for coming on, and we'll talk to you soon. You're welcome. And that's it for today's episode. Again, if you're a first-time listener or you've been at it since the beginning, please go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Wherever you get your podcasts, we've got you covered anywhere you want.